0: If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1 as we begin this new series. Galatians chapter 1, the Gospel of Grace. This is such an important message. I don't care how long you've been in the Lord or how short your time has been as a Christian. This is a message for you and for me, a message of importance that we all need to grasp, and it's going to make a major difference in our lives. Let's look at Galatians chapter 1, and I'm going to read the first nine verses, and then we'll go through chapter 2, verse 10, as we look at this section of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which really is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be under God's curse. Those are strong words. The book of Galatians is the only letter written by Paul where he doesn't start off with a commendation, that is, a recognition of something good about the church. He does the greeting, and then he goes right into the confrontation. He is shocked. He is gobsmacked. That's a British uh, expression for gob meaning mouth, and smack is uh, smack in your mouth with your raised eyebrows, as in astonished, amazed, shocked, totally thrown off by how quickly, how willingly, how gullibly, how fickle These people were to turn from the truth, the eternal, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, to follow a man-made add-on list to Jesus plus works, Jesus plus the law. How is it, how is it that they can turn so quickly away from the grace of Christ? That's why today's message is entitled, How May We Continue to live in the grace of Christ. How may we continue on to live in the grace of Christ? Galatians 1, verse 1 to Galatians 2, verse 10. And the answer to this I put up top and then I go through each aspect and then I summarize. So, how to continue living in Christ's grace? Number one, understand what grace is. Number two, be loyal to grace. Number three, trace grace to God alone. And number four, don't compromise grace. Those are the four ways in which we are to continue living in Christ's grace according to the section of scripture we're going to be looking at today, chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 10. However, may I make a very helpful and practical suggestion to you? If you know the book of Galatians, you know And in chapter 5, it speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. I want to encourage you this afternoon even to read Galatians chapter 5 in its entirety and start working backwards from there. Start asking the Lord to fill you with His Spirit and to express the character of Christ through your life and you will be walking in the grace of Christ. That's where we're headed, is towards the fruit of the Spirit. That's the big picture. But for now... Let's look at the components of chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 10. First of all, understand grace. Galatians 1, 3 to 5. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Paul, in his greeting to the Christians in Galatia, right off the bat, reminds them what grace is. Grace is that even though we didn't deserve it, God gave us his one and only son, Jesus. Even though we were sinners, even though we were rebels, even though we um, wanted to be independent from God, God knew that our problem was sin. And God dealt with our most serious fundamental problem of sin by giving his son Jesus the sinless sacrifice to die on the cross on our behalf to rescue us. Praise God for this amazing grace. You know, I'd love to read to you in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where it says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And also in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Someone has taken grace, the letters that spell grace, and made an acronym out of it. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. God has lavished the riches of his mercy and his forgiveness and his pardon and adopting us into his forever family at the expense of Christ dying on the cross in our place. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. We must understand what grace is. Grace is not just unmerited favor. If I ask the average educated Christian, what is grace? They would immediately show off their knowledge and say, unmerited favor. And that's true. That is the core and essence of grace. We did not merit this favor. We did not earn this favor. God gave it to us. We didn't deserve it, but God gave it to us. Yes, that's grace. But grace is so much more. Grace is a dynamic. Grace is a lifestyle. Let me uh, direct our attention for a moment to Titus chapter 2. In the book of Titus uh, chapter 2, we have these uh, wonderful words. It says in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself himself, A people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Aha! Now the concept of grace is expanding. It's gone from unmerited favor to something that instructs us in the way of holiness because we've been set apart to be God's people. And it teaches us to be different from and separate from the ways of this world. And it teaches us to look forward to our blessed hope of being with the Lord. This is amazing. It's a lifestyle of resting and trusting in Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace and we live by grace. We continually live being washed by the blood of Christ. Would you look at 1 John? 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. To me, this is a great picture of grace because it teaches us about the ongoing aspect of living for the Lord. 1 John 1 verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. You're sitting there and you're thinking, maybe I don't understand grace. Maybe I've had too shallow of a definition of grace. If I'm really understanding what you're saying, you're saying that grace is not just receiving forgiveness for my sins, but grace is empowering me and leading and guiding me in a way that honors the Lord. And grace is a continuous application of the blood of Christ to my life. The blood of Christ was shed for all my sins to be washed away, but as I walk through this world, I still sin, and the blood of Christ continuously washes me from that effect of sin, and my role is to walk in obedience, to walk in the light, to walk in holiness as my Lord is holy. There's a lifestyle commitment involved in grace. And the Galatians didn't get that. They thought maybe, oh, you know, I've received Christ and I've got my eternal life assurance plan. And what? You're telling me I've got to do an add-on to my policy? I have to do works? I have to uh, be circumcised? I have to follow Jewish customs before I can be really righteous, before I could really be considered a full Christian? Okay, that sounds good to me. What are you thinking? says Paul. How could you so easily be tripped up by something that's completely wrong and antithetical to the faith? We must understand grace. And secondly, we must be loyal to grace. Galatians 1, 6 to 9, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which really Is no gospel at all. Now this is important. The word for desertion Paul uses out of the military language. It's the word for official desertion from military duty. Now we call it AWOL. AWOL stands for uh, absent without official leave. You got no command to leave but you started retreating. You started running away in the midst of battle. You're absent without official leave. How quickly you have gone AWOL. I can't believe how you have left your post, how you've left the military rank of being a Christian, a follower of Christ, of being a Christian soldier, and now you are being involved in something that's completely false, completely untrue. And by the way, when we desert a true gospel doctrine, we're not deserting a propositional truth alone we are deserting our Lord did you notice that I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ we don't want to leave our first love do we that's what Jesus said against the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation he said you have left you have forsaken your first love when we forget the Lord When we take our eyes off the Lord, it's so easy to put the responsibility of living in our own court. We try to please God through the energies of the flesh, by the uh, overwhelming charm of our personality. And let me tell you this, our righteousness is but like filthy rags. Our righteousness is like unsanitary cloths. Our righteousness does not mount up to a hill of beans. Our righteousness is in Christ and in Him alone. And because of that, we must be loyal to grace. We must not abandon it for any other message, no matter how impressive the person delivering the message may be. And let me tell you something. Jesus said in the last days there will be many false messiahs. And Christians are the first ones to follow these false messiahs. Who? are the recruits that cults go after the most new and ungrounded christian because they're the first to fall they say oh that person quoted a bible verse it must be right examine what they say because if they're saying jesus plus anything for salvation paul has some strong words for them he says that they are to be accursed if anyone whether it be us or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be under God's God's curse. We have already said, and I say it again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be under God's curse. Let him be anathema, which is God's curse. And going back for a moment, you notice that these people who are doing this It says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So we are saved by grace through faith. Jesus paid it all, and his finished work is the basis for atonement for our sin, period. But when somebody comes in and tries to confuse you, when someone perverts the gospel and twists the scriptures to their own destruction, don't you dare fall for that. Now let me just bring this down home to those of you who have been walking with the Lord forever and say, oh Lou, this is so introductory. I don't need this message. Let me put it down where you live, down in the nubbins. You were raised where you were taught you have to pull yourself up by your bootstrap. You were taught a good worth ethic. You were taught that nothing comes free. You've got to earn it. So for you to accept the gospel was a pretty profound jump. And for you to continue to live in the gospel of grace is still hard for you. Why? Because what's been ingrained in your mind is performance-based acceptance. You will not be accepted by God unless your performance is exactly right. Come on. Some of you are nodding your heads. Some of you are making sure you don't nod your head. But you know what I'm saying. You have such a sense of right and wrong and of pulling your own weight and not being a burden on anyone that you say, if I don't toe the line, then I'm not accepted. God must be frowning when he looks at my life and sees my failures and uh, my sins and my, my heart wandering. Let me tell you something. The grace of God is that when he sees you he sees the righteousness of his very own son, Jesus. The grace of God is that God is always smiling towards you, never frowning, never shaking his head, never um, tussing you. T-t-t-t-t-t. He's never wagging his finger, you naughty person. God loves you, and nothing you do can make him love you more or make him love you less. That's the grace of God. God's love casts out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. And many Christians are living with a sense of, God's going to punish me. God's not going to forgive me. God's not going to uh, allow, uh, uh, approve of me. Let me tell you this. God already approves of you. We do not seek to please God for his approval. We have his approval, and we live for his pleasure out of the approval we already have. Now, why is this so important? Because if anyone throws you into confusion, if anyone perverts the gospel, what they're trying to do is get you to think that you have to atone for your own sin. Listen carefully. When you realize that sin is a debt, you may have the immature attempt of saying, I know what I'll do. I'll just do enough good things to pay back my debt. Imagine a man in court of law, and he owes the federal government a sum of $3 million for failing to pay his income tax. He's stone broke and has no way to pay the debt back, and he makes this interesting argument before the judge. He says, your honor, it is true that I didn't pay my income tax, But feeling a keen sense of guilt over my failure, I started to do some good things to make up for my failure in this regard. I started obeying perfectly all the other rules and regulations of the government to which I am subject. In view of my present obedience to governmental regulations and rules, I'm asking the government to pay me for my good conduct so I can pay off my tax debt with the sum that I've earned. Does that sound as preposterous to you as it does to me? Will the government cancel his debt because he started doing a lot of good things he was obligated to do anyway? No, but that's what happens. We feel guilt, and so we feel we have to atone, and so we think if we do extra good, we're atoning for our guilt. Here's another approach, the depressive attempt. If I hurt and grieve over my mistakes long enough, my guilt feelings will leave me. So this method is uh, chosen by people Given to depression. They think if they hurt or grieve long enough, their hurt and suffering will be credited against their debt. It's the same way they do the dishes. When they come to a dish that has egg stuck on it uh, that won't come off with minimal scrubbing, they just soak it, and if the dish is soaked long enough, the dried egg will soften and wash away. But real sin debts don't just soak off with time, they must be paid in full. But how many people are saying? I'm suffering because I'm atoning for my guilt. Here's another approach, the neurotic attempt. Well, I'll just get sick, and that will take care of the problem. Well, they don't actually say I'll get sick, but you know, the body responds to your mind. Psychosomatic beings, the body and the mind are together. So the body has an uncanny way of picking up our thinking And so if we say, I don't feel like going to church, then our body cooperates by developing a headache, an upset stomach, or something worse. And we say, oh, it may get worse. Better play it safe and stay home. And our body cooperates. And of course, how many have called in sick to skip a day at work? And no one expects a sick person to get to work, so maybe nobody would expect a sick person to pay his debts. Wrong The debt of sin must be paid. And then the last attempt to uh, atone for our own sin is the criminal attempt. And that's for those people who pass the buck and deny responsibility for their actions. And so the denial of guilt doesn't remove our guilt or lessen responsibility for it. It only suppresses the guilt by stuffing it into the subconscious regions of our mind. And we may think our feelings of guilt are dormant because we've ignored them, but they're not quiet. One day, feelings of guilt will surge into our conscious level, and they manifest themselves in physical and mental illnesses or ugly acts of resentment and cruelty, and uh, they will find a way of coming out. Adam, when he was confronted by God, said, I'm not responsible. The woman you made made me do it. Don't blame me. Blame her. And then Eve said, hey, the serpent deceived me. Don't blame me. Blame it. And God held them all responsible. So the question is: If the uh, immature attempt of "I'll uh, do enough good things to pay it back," or the depressive attempt of "I'll hurt and grieve over my mistakes long enough, my mistakes long enough, so that my guilt feelings will leave me," or the neurotic attempt of "Well, I'll just get sick and that will take care of the problem," or the criminal attempt that I pass the buck and uh, and don't take any responsibility, what is the only way that our sins can be atoned for? The answer is Jesus on the cross for you and me. He paid it all. He said, it is finished. Paid in full when he was on the cross. And if you believe anything less than that, that Jesus didn't pay for all your sin, guess what? You are trying to atone for your sin in some crazy, ineffective manner. You may have been torturing yourself Your whole life over a sin you committed and you have not recognized it's under the blood of Christ that it's forgiven. You have been set free. God the Father sees the righteousness of Jesus the Son and he smiles when he looks at you. If you don't have that view, you don't understand grace. Oh, the grace of God that we are totally forgiven. Oh, the grace of God that all my sin has been atoned for. Oh, the grace of God that I stand fully righteous before a holy God in Christ. I don't want anyone to take me away from the grace of Christ, to confuse me or pervert the gospel, to get me to think that works righteousness, my own efforts, will atone for my sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's the grace of God. And we need to be loyal to the grace of God. And then third, we need to trace grace to God alone. If you read this section of uh, Galatians one one to 2.10, how many times Paul talks about how he didn't follow men, he didn't receive this from men, he didn't check up with the apostles because... Uh, they were men. Uh, He stayed true to the revelation. This was from God. By the way, if you were thinking how to save lost humanity, would you say, hey, I've got a good idea. I'm going to give my own son to die on the cross in their place, thereby remaining just and holy, but yet uh, forgiving them at the expense of my own son even though they don't deserve it and they're thumbing their nose at me and they're rebelling against me and uh, they hate my guts, I'm going to provide this way of salvation. Would you come up with that idea? I don't think so. I think we all would have had a stair-step level approach of the works they had to jump through in order to earn our forgiveness. Wait a second. Maybe that's something we do now. Maybe when someone hurts us, instead of forgiving them out of grace we have a bunch of regulations of what they have to do to earn our forgiveness you see grace is not just something you experience Grace is also something give. If you have experienced the grace of God, you're to give the grace of God. If you have been forgiven, you are to freely forgive. But if you think grace is something to be earned, then you don't forgive other people because they have to earn your forgiveness. See how that works? We need to understand grace and trace grace to God. Here Paul says, I want you to know, this is Galatians 1, 11 and 12, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by the revelation from Jesus Christ. This is God's idea. This is from Jesus. He goes on in Galatians 1, 15 to 16 to say, but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I may preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being where did this concept of grace come from from god it wasn't made up by man it came from god trace grace to god alone galatians 1 18 to 20 after three years of preaching the gospel to the gentiles he finally goes up to jerusalem the main church to get acquainted with cephas another name for peter and he stays with him for 15 days and he saw none of the other apostles only james the lord's brother and I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. In other words, he didn't say, hey, here's my story. How does it match up with your story? And uh, maybe my story may not be true and needs modifications according to your thing. He didn't care less. He knew it was from the Lord, and he preached what he received from the Lord, and he wasn't dependent on men no matter how highly esteemed they were. And he mentions the word esteemed three times in this passage. He says, after 14 years... After the three years, after 14 years, he went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and he took Titus along, and he went in response to a revelation from the Lord to tell him to go to Jerusalem, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, he presented them the gospel that he preached among the Gentiles because he wanted to be sure that he's not running or had not been running in the race, his race, in Maine. And guess what? They added nothing to his message. Galatians 2, 6-10. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. Those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. Isn't that wonderful how the Holy Spirit gives us all the same download because it's from him, and you know it's true because the gospel message lines up across the board and there's no need for correction when you receive it straight from God. We must trace the grace of God to God alone. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series,